right. Praise the Lord. We thank God for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. We thank the Lord for everything that he does, because we know that our God doesn't have to do anything that he does. God is greatly to be praised. I hope that you had a great uh, week thus far. Um, we're excited um, to get back into the word of God. I don't know about you, but every time I'm in the word of God, it really is a blessing because I'm getting something that I didn't have before, or God is showing me something that I really need to know in order to use it um, for a circumstance or for a situation. Um, doesn't really matter what it is. God's word really provides exactly what we need when we need it. So that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. We thank the Lord because we are now picking up. Um, this should be our final lesson on um, this uh, in a three-part series uh, where we were talking about, um, where we're talking about um, believing um, um, to see or when believing is seeing. Let's go ahead and read our scripture. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, starting at verse 13, I should say, and uh, we're going to go through verse 17. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 13 says this, uh, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. And we praise God for his word. Amen. Thank the Lord for giving us such wonderful words. I know he didn't have to give them to us, but, but he did. Now, we are picking up our lesson here. This is, like I said, this is the third lesson in the Bible Matters series this um, uh, Bible Matter series is just a, um, it's pretty much a side um, series of lessons. So whenever Lord gives us something kind of spur of the moment to speak about, that's outside of what we might have to speak on. For instance, we were talking about Psalms 27, and we're doing a study on that. But in the middle of preparing for the last lesson for that, or the last, final lessons for that, the Lord gave me this. And so we put the other lesson, our ongoing lesson on hold, and we just take a slight detour and we, uh, and we, and we explore what God has for us right then in the moment. And that's what the Bible matters, um, series of Bible study is for. And so we picked up, um, uh, one in second Corinthians 13, uh, chapter three, verses 13 through 17. And we've done two lessons so far, um, in talking about when believing is seeing or believing to see, um, so to speak. And so this is the third lesson in that, um, session. Amen. And uh, when we pick up, we, 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 uh, when we last talked about this, we, we talked about Moses, okay, and the, uh, and the children of Israel and their behavior, okay, we talked about um, the receiving of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and when we last left 
Um, and we talked about when we last left off, we talked about what immediately happened after Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he's communing with the Lord and he's receiving the oracles of God. He's receiving the word of God. He's receiving um, the what would come to be known as the Mosaic law. He's receiving all of this. Okay. And while he's up there, Joshua is up there with him. Joshua goes to a point and then Moses goes on further and Moses is communing with the Lord. Now, this is the first time when he goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the words of God. Meanwhile, the children of Israel are down at the foot of the mountain, but Moses goes up. They decide that, oh man, we don't know if he's coming down. We don't know what's happening. We're just all kinds of cop out, just all kinds of cop out. And so they come up with all these, all these, all these nonsense stories and, and reasons that Moses is not going to come back and, and, and we don't know what happened to him. And so they compel, uh, they compel uh, Aaron, who is the um, um, Aaron to create for them, okay, a gold, a golden calf. All right. And we learned all of this in the scriptures. Amen. That this is what, that this is what they, um, this is what they, this is what they did when they went up to the mountain and, and, uh, when Mo and when they were at the foot of the mountain and Moses was up there, they compelled them. And so all of a sudden God sees what they're doing because God is in control. He knows everything. And I want to say that to somebody, God knows what you're doing. And I hope you understand. I hope you understand that God knows what you're doing. And if you are not doing right, God knows you're not doing right. So there's no need to, to, to play the game where we try to pretend that what we're doing isn't what we're doing. God knows what you're doing. Those children of Israel were at the foot of the mountain while Moses was up on the mountain. And while Moses was communing with God and receiving the oracles of God, as soon as they went sideways to the left, as soon as they did, God saw all of that. Look at Exodus chapter 32, amen, verses 7 through 10, and you'll see all of that. And because it's in that section where the Lord tells Moses, look, you look, go down because these, these people that, that you brought up here that you brought, they corrupted themselves. He says, go down. And I want and I, and I can't stress this enough. You cannot hide from God. The best thing that you can do if you are parent, if you are presently struggling, if you are uh, in a in a in, in a circumstance or in a situation that is full of unrighteousness or, or and, and wicked and you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do haven't been doing what you're supposed to have been supposed to do for a while doing your own thing trying to figure out stuff god knows what you're doing you're not going to get away with it and the best thing that you can do for yourself is to surrender it's time to stop fighting with god it's time to stop fighting with everybody else it's time to lay down your arms and it's time to repent and I can't stress that enough. It, you got the hard-headedness that we sometimes get involved in is mind-boggling because we our head becomes so hard at times that we we can clearly see that we're doing the wrong thing or going the wrong way. But because of our own pride and arrogance and everything else, we just we're gonna keep foolishness going. And I and I and I want I'm I'm hoping that this. I'm praying that this will get through to somebody 
who's got own, who's got an internal struggle going on where you are fighting with the ways of God and the things of God and doing right because there's part of you that wants to do the wrong thing, but there's another part of you that wants to do the right thing. You got to surrender. You got to, you, you got, you have to surrender. You got to stop fighting against God. Everybody is going to have that struggle. The book of Romans chapter seven teaches us very plainly. Paul says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. There's going to always be that internal struggle to some degree. But you got to stop letting yourself win out in that struggle and you going forward with doing what you want to do. You got to surrender to God. You got to humble yourself before God. Okay. And so they, they went up there and, and they, I mean, they just, you know, just nonsense. All while Moses is receiving the word of God after God had done so much for them. That's the way that they repaid God down at the foot of the mountain with betrayal. And before we get too hard on them, we do the same thing. God has done so much for us. God has walked us through, through danger seen and unseen, and he's kept us safe. He's healed us when we needed it. He's restored us. He's provided for us jobs and whatnot and all of these different things. God, I'm simply saying, has done a lot for you and me. How long are we going to repay him with betrayal? Where we act like he didn't do anything for us. We know we couldn't do it on our own. How many times were you stuck? How many times was, was I stuck? Man, I lose count when I think about it. I really do. I lose count when I think about how many times where I'm just, you know, I'm behind in the count. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm in trouble. But Jesus comes to the rescue every single time. How long am I going to know that and see that and still defiantly ignore that? How long are you going to do that? We got to stop fighting against God, family. Friends, we got to stop fighting against God. We got to surrender. That's not, a, listen, that's not a battle we can win. We've got to humble ourselves, repent of our sins. We got to let all the trash go. And there's no need in coming up with excuses because guess what? When Moses was up there and they were down at the foot of the foot of the mountain doing what they want, God saw it. And so I'm circling back right to that point. God knows what you're doing. You can have the wool pulled over everyone else's eyes, but you're not going to listen. <laughs> you're not going to pull it over God. He knows. And there will be a conversation between you and him about that. It's coming up. Everything that we do, it gets, it's written. It's getting written down. And you're going to have to give an account. Now, if you don't want to, if you, if, if you want to make it through that, then what you need to do is you're going to have to get that under the blood. That means you're going to have to be, you have to repent. Amen. Now, when we look at our text, moving forward, we pick up our lesson because when we ended the last lesson, the very last thing that we talked about is that we said that God wants to have an encounter with us.
because we learned that when Moses, aside from what the children of Israel did, Moses did have an encounter with God, okay? Moses, after all of that was done, after the children of Israel's disobedience and, and all of that stuff was taken care of, there was still the matter of the oracles of God or the laws of God. Because remember, Moses got mad and he broke them, okay? And so our text, when we read our scripture, okay, the scripture says, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, what is being referred to here is, is the veil that was put over his face as a result of his second trip up Mount Sinai to re-receive, okay, the oracles or the commandments of God. In addition to that, there was a prayer that went forward and that prayer or a request of Moses to God, I want to see your face. God, I want to see your face. Okay. And so our scriptures pick up after that point, because as a result of that, Moses was changed. As a result of that encounter, with God, Moses was changed. And because of this change, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a little while, uh, Moses had to wear a veil over his face because of the change that happened during his second trip up Mount Sinai in order to receive the oracles of God or the commandments of God. Amen. It left him changed. And when we last left off, we said that God wants to have an encounter, just like you had an encounter with Moses. God wants to have an encounter with you and me, God. And, 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 and the, but the question is, is do we want an encounter with him? Because just as with Moses, it left him changed. If you want an encounter with the Lord, it'll, God will leave you changed as well. Amen. And we gave you all kinds of scriptures to go with that. Amen. Encounters with the Lord that leave us changed. We gave you Ezekiel 11 and 19. We gave you Psalms 51 and 10. We gave you 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. And then we asked the question, do you want to be changed? And for that question, we gave you the scriptures, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 13. And 38. And then we gave you Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 29 through 34. And in here, we've got people saying, what, what do I, what must I do to be saved? They're hearing the word, they're hearing the gospel, and, and, and they're deciding that they want to be changed. And so they're asking, what must I do in order to be saved? They want to know. They want to know what it takes. They want to know what, what, what they have to do. And, and, and listen, friend, God can change you. If your, if your life is, has been just totally less than what it's all cracked up to be, and I get it, and I get it, because life will leave you like that sometimes. Let me just tell you something. God can change you. Somebody who's listening to this or who will listen to this somewhere in the world at some point in time, you are stuck in a rut. 
you are in a situation where you know something needs to change, something's got to give, and things cannot remain the way that they are, and you don't quite know what it is. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is that you need to do. You need to be saved, my friend. You need to surrender to the Lord. You need to come to Jesus. And you need to come just as you are with a desire to be changed. You got to repent over your sins which means you got to be broken over. You can't be secretly okay and what a secret love affair with sin and all that kind of stuff. And, and all the while you still want to, no, you got to be broken over sin. That means that if God says that it's wrong and he don't like it, you adopt the same attitude. You don't like it. You got to truly be broken over your sin and unrighteousness, unwilling to make excuses for it. You got to be water baptized in the name of Jesus. That's the only name given for us for salvation. That's in the scripture. Don't do it any other way. Don't use your mind and your logic and all that. Do it the way that was done in the scripture. The way the apostles interpreted the Lord's command to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, what did they do? They didn't baptize anybody in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost. They understood that that meant baptize them in the name of Jesus. And so when you go to the book of Acts, that's all you're going to see. You are never going to find anybody ever being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. No, that, that, those, those are titles. Those are titles of one who has a name. What is the name? The name is Jesus. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, don't settle for no substitute. Don't let somebody baptize you in anything other than the name of Jesus. No, cut to, they, they got to cut to the chase and do it in the name of Jesus. If you got the ability to be baptized in the name of Jesus, you got to insist on it. Don't use your logic and don't go around talking about, you know what, well, it, I think God understand. He know, listen, if God tells you to do something and you have the ability to do it the way he said do it, Take your reason, your logic, your understanding, and throw it out the window because that means that that's an instance where God don't require you to think. He just wants you to do. Do what he said do. Don't innovate. Don't remix. Don't do nothing but what he said do. He, don't, he, don't, he does not need your help. He don't need the way you think. He's not asking for how you feel about it. If Jesus tell you to do something, my goodness, do it. Do not lean to your own understanding when it comes to these things. Literally, really, don't do it at all. And he'll fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, Brother Walker, how do you know he'll fill me with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because you were obedient. You can't do stuff the way you want to do and then expect to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't come to God the way you want to. You got to come the way he told you. Many people now are trying to figure out why can I, I don't receive the whole, I, you know, how come I don't get the Holy Ghost like they got it in the back, in, in the book of Acts and in, and in those days? Because you come into God the way you want to instead of coming the way he told you to. God does not bless mess, and he's not going to respond to that. You want the Holy Ghost the way they got it? In the book of Acts, you got to be obedient. And I guarantee you, that Holy Ghost will fall, your tongue will open up, 
and you will speak in a language that you have never known before, you are going to see that the same thing that he did back then, he is doing today. But you can't get it your way. You can't get it with your understanding. You can only get it with obedience. Amen. Amen. I hope somebody understand that. I hope that blesses uh, somebody. Now, when we pick up our lesson and we move into this and we go forward, talking about this believing um, to see or when, when believing is seen, and you could even say believing in order to see, you, it, it's all fine as long as you understand what we're talking about here. Many people have the attitude or the mindset that seeing is believing. And that is prevalent in the church and, and in the world. There are just a lot of people that really, when it comes to believing, their mind, their attitude, their everything is set on, hey, you know what? If I see it, I'll believe it. That's out there. That's, that, is the, that is a prevailing thought in the world today. Sad, but it's also one in the church. Amen. Even many in the church. We look, we, our God can do the miraculous. He can do the wondrous. The things that don't have necessarily a point of reference, the things that defy logic and expectation and reason, our God can do it all. He can do what medical science says cannot be done. He can do what the laws of physics and nature say is not supposed to be possible. We serve a God that has all power of heaven and earth in his hand. And let me tell you something, friend, there is nothing that Jesus cannot do. There just absolutely isn't. But, the, but when we start talking about the ability of God and what God can do, God can do not only the everyday and the things that are in the natural or whatnot, but when you start talking about what God is able to do, the conversation without doubt will eventually progress into the realm of the supernatural because not only can God do what what's in the natural and what he's given you the ability to do, not only can God do all of that stuff, but then God can do what you cannot do. God can do what mankind cannot do. And when you start getting into God doing what can't nobody else do, here come Jesus taking two, two fish and, and, and five loaves of bread. And what does he do? He do a multiplication that you and I can't figure out. And now all of a sudden, what amounted to little more than a lunch is now feeding a multitude of people, not on just one occasion, but on several occasions, Jesus did this. See, when God starts moving in the realm of the miraculous, here comes Jesus calling Lazarus, come forth. And here this man come out of the grave, bound in grave clothes. Medical science and everything else says that's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to be possible. But when you start talking about God, reason and logic, according to man's wisdom, you got to throw that stuff on the sideline. And you got to realize that you are in a territory, that you are in a vicinity where the reasoning of man and the logic of man will not avail you. Because the God that we serve is greater than anything and everything out there. And there is no limit on God.
Amen. 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 The only limits that God have are those that he imposed on himself. That's it. Other, that's, and that just simply means that God binds himself to his own word. If he said it, he's going to do it. I hope you believe it this morning. I hope you believe it this morning. Because if you don't, I, it don't matter. I believe it. I believe it. I'm convinced. I have seen it. What he said he is going to do, my God will do. I, my goodness, I'm a recipient of God doing this a greater and above and beyond what I could even think, I could even imagine, I could even wonder, I could even hope for. And if you're anything like me, you're the recipient of these types of graces as well. God doing things that you can't explain. Amen. Amen. But And, and so when you start talking about the supernatural ability of God, that's when this world starts to get a little sketchy. And unfortunately, even in the church, they start getting a little sketchy. Little disbelief and doubt starts to kind of creep in there. Because now you're talking about things that don't have a logical point of reference. And so the enemy start trying to play on our mind and trying to introduce thoughts of doubt when we start talking about God and what God can do. Do you need a healing? And have the doctor said that, you know what, I don't think it's anything else that I can do. Now you're in God's territory. See, man didn't already let go. And it ain't nothing else that they can do. But all you know is that you still need a healing or your loved one still needs a healing. They still need something. But you know that But by conventional means, you're not going to get it. And if something is going to happen, it's going to have to be divine in nature. It's going to have to be supernatural. Well, it's in those moments where the enemy going to try to kick up doubt. Why? Because he don't want you to put that faith in God. And then you watch God come through. And then all of a sudden, your faith goes to another level of faith. The devil don't want that. So he's going to fight against that. He's going to fight against that. Going to try to introduce doubt, get you to say, you know what? Well, maybe God ain't going to do this for me. Well, maybe God ain't going to do this, that. Now, let me tell you something. If you've been living right and you've been doing what you're supposed to do according to the word of God and you've been walking upright and you're not trying to be shady and iffy and sketchy when it comes to God, but you are obedient to that word of God, let me tell you something. You can expect the miraculous. Will it be the thing that you want? I don't know. God is in control, but I know one thing that your life will not be devoid of seeing the miracles of God because he rewards faith. I'm just telling you how it is. And it doesn't matter. I listen, if you don't believe that, that's okay. I, I look, I believe it enough for both of us right now. I'm, God is able. Can't stress that enough. God is able. Those three Hebrew boys didn't think, listen, they didn't think for a second that their God would not deliver them. It didn't matter what Nebuchadnezzar was talking about and cranking up the furnace seven times hotter than it had been and thinking he's going to get rid of the, listen, hey, God is able. If the world don't believe, God is able. If mom and dad don't believe, God is able. If friends and acquaintances, husbands and wives don't believe, God is still able, friend. I'm telling you, you got to keep the porch light on for God. You got to wait on him. And he'll show up. How will he show up? 
Well, he'll show up right on time and he's going to show up with exactly what you need. And it's going to be the way that you need. It. And, and which means that it might not be according to what you thought or what you originally asked for. It's going to be better than that. It's going to be better than that. I'm just telling you, because we serve a great God and he doesn't have any limits and you can't impose anything. You listen, you don't shot block God. You hear what I'm telling you? God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. You got to know what the word says. You got to believe it. And that's Jeremiah, for those of you who are wondering, you got to understand that God is limitless. I am so glad and I'm so thankful that God operates in the realm of the natural. And he does things that my mind can follow at times. My, my, I, listen, I have the, uh, he's been giving me the ability, he's given you the ability, the faculty to follow along with many of the things that he does. But I am so glad that he is not confined to what I am able to understand in the natural. But Jesus, God Almighty, operates in the realm of the supernatural. And I don't know about you, but I'm still glad that God operates in miracles. Because if he still operates in miracles, then I'm not wasting my time when I ask for one. Glory to God this morning. God is able. I hope I'm building. Listen, I pray that God is, is, is inspiring your faith this morning. I know, he's, I know he's rekindling mine. Every time I talk about the goodness of God, he just rekindles it. He just sets it, set my heart ablaze. And it just feels mighty good. It really does. Many people have the attitude that they're not going to believe unless they can see. And unfortunately, even in the church, look at John chapter 20, verse 25. This is the gospel of John chapter 20, verse 25. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And that's Thomas. That was Thomas. He's a disciple. He's a disciple. And he had a problem. <laughs> We're believing without seeing. Now, you know, we got that problem. That if a disciple's got that, which are apostles, got that problem, so do we. All of us do. All of us do. Look at Thomas. He was next level. He was like, not even just seeing it. He was like, if I can't, if I, I got to touch it too. He was, he was like, uh-uh, I'm, I, 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 no. If I'm going to believe it, then I'm going to need to use my natural faculties in order to confirm it. And the world is like that and many of the church is like that. Jesus acknowledged it. He, 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 Jesus informed us of this. Look at John, St. John chapter four, verse 48. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Jesus wasn't naive to the, to the mindset of men. He knew that men wanted to see something. They wanted to see a sign. And here he is acknowledging that. 
Here he is acknowledging and pointing out the mindset of this world. Jesus said, except you see, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I'm glad that God operates in the miraculous. But I can't base my belief and trust in God, my love for him, on the miraculous. That's unfair to God. For me to base my love, my affection, my adoration for him, for me to make that conditional upon seeing signs and wonders with my own eyes. Listen, we have a right to ask for miracles, and especially if we've been walking upright. And we can believe that our God will perform miracles. But let me explain, add some context. Whatever you do, do not base your service to God on miracles. No. Signs and wonders are benefits that come along with being in right standing and relation with God. But that relationship, that right standing, got to be based on something more than things that God may or may not do. If you're going to love God, you got to love God for him. Not for what you can get out of him. You know, a lot of people. This go, and, and I know that this next this next statement is going is 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 probably going to touch home for a lot of people, and it, and it, and it may offend you. But it's a whole lot of people who make a whole lot of conditional condition no promises to God. Lord, if you heal my so and so, then I'll serve you. Lord, if you do this, then I'll serve. Listen. God is worthy of your service if he doesn't do another thing for you. Do not tie God to these ridiculous conditions. You ought to be surrendering to God, coming to God, loving God because of who he is. And he's already done enough. Amen. Amen. See, we are called to the ministry of discipleship or making disciples. Look at Matthew 28, 28. look at 18 through, um, through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Didn't I tell you God got all power? He just said that verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. Remember I explained that that wasn't him telling you go actually baptize in that. Because when you look at the book of acts, when they started putting this into practice, they didn't baptize like that. They just baptized people in the name of Jesus or the Lord Jesus. That's it. They didn't do nothing else. So make sure when it comes to baptism, you don't do nothing else. Okay. Amen. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That is a call, all of that together. That is a commission to make disciples. 
That's where that, that, that's, that's our job is to make disciples and a disciple is a carbon copy of the master. Okay. It's not a call to make Christians. It's a call to make disciples because we're, because Christians nowadays, people, that's a dime a dozen. People take that to mean whatever it is and they can, and every, and they do all kinds of stuff and whatever they want to do all the while calling they self Christians. So we can't go off of that. That ain't what he told you to do. What he's instructing us is to make disciples. Those that are going to be taught the word of God, the ways of God, according to what God has done and, 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 and taught to observe and obey what the word says, not your innovation, not my remix of it, not my rendition of it, but teaching them exactly to do what Jesus said do. And of course, we know Jesus is God Almighty. This is what the scripture teaches us. Amen. So we're talking about them doing, teaching them to do what God has told or instructed them to do. Amen. Amen. The journey of the disciple is one of faith, though. Okay. It, the journey, this walk that, that, that a disciple of the Lord must take. It's one of faith. Look at John 20 and 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. Now, look at 2 Corinthians, look at chapter 5, and I want you to look at verse number 7. Amen. Very simple. Very, very simple. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The journey of the disciple, we are called to make disciples. And the journey that disciples travel, the road that we walk is one of faith, not of sight. Amen. Now, when we get to our text, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 17, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, he's talking about the end of that which is abolished. Now, Paul is bringing in, the, he's, he, he's, he's bringing in um, or connecting the dots between the physical veil, okay, and what that veil represented in the, in the, in, in the spirit, okay? So he says, and not as Moses, which put the veil over his face. Okay. So again, when Moses went up Mount Sinai for the second time and, he, and, um, and um, to receive the commandments of God, he also was allowed to see a portion of God. And as a result of that, Moses's face was changed. It began to give off the glory of God or radiance. It began to, it began to shine brightly. And what the scripture teaches is, is that the children of Israel, when Moses came down with his face uncovered, they were afraid of that because that's, that, that ain't normal. You get what I'm saying? All of a sudden he coming down and his, <laughs> and his, and his face is just shining and, 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 and just glowing and all that, you know, uh, just, it, and, 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 whoa, and, re, and, and it, it was, that happened because he was in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Nevertheless, the people was like, oh man, what, what's happening here, Moses? This ain't normal. We're afraid. And so Moses, what the scripture teaches is, is that Moses put a veil over his face. 
And when he talked with the people, he kept the veil on. But whenever he went before the Lord to talk and commune with the Lord, he would take the veil off. Okay. Now, the veil in the scripture is an actual head covering. Okay. And this was one that also obviously that he used in order to, uh, to cover his face. Okay. As well. Okay. Now, figuratively, what the veil represents is the, uh, is figuratively, it represents a covering that prevents right understanding. Okay. Figuratively, that's what it represents. Okay. But naturally it was a actual covering. It was a head covering. This is the same thing that is alluded to, or that is talked about. Amen. In first Corinthians chapter 11, when we talk about the covering and women having their hair covered and all these different things, and you start talking about the glory and you start talking about all of these different things, because this is where all of that comes from. This situation, this scenario, what happened with Moses and the glory. This is why in, in first Corinthians chapter 11, the, the men are commanded, you know, not to cover their heads before the glory of God. This is why this is where all of that comes from. And what it's talking about is an actual physical cover. A lot of people have a lot of different understanding of First Corinthians um, chapter 11, and they get it all twisted up. No, 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 and no. That's talking about an actual physical covering. That is what is being referenced in, in, First, Corinth, in First Corinthians chapter 11. Why? Because that is tied to what happened here in Exodus. Amen. And in Exodus, it's a physical covering. There are spiritual implications and spiritual meanings, but this, but the covering that is being talked about is an actual physical covering. That's a it's a legitimate thing. It's not a figurative thing. It's a legitimate thing, but it has a figurative, metaphorical meaning. Amen. Amen. So it's a so that so the veil is translated. It means head covering, and it is talking about a literal head covering. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Now, Moses got the veil. Let's talk about this veil. Moses got the veil as a result of his second trip up Mount Sinai to reobtain the commandments of God that were broken by Moses. Why did he break them? He broke them out of disgust and anger over the children of Israel's behavior toward God. Look at Exodus chapter 32, look at verses seven through 10. Amen. And Moses said, and the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down for thy people, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be the God, thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And verse number nine, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them and I will put and I will make a make of thee a great nation. Amen. Amen. And if you go down to verse 19, you're going to read this. 
And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp. Because remember, he told God told him to go down. So now Moses is on his way down. That he saw the calf and the dancing. Now, remember, prior to this, Joshua was like, he heard all the noise and the commotion. He thought it was the noise of war. But this is what it actually was. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp. He saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. See that? Moses got so many. The first he got, he had went up to the mountain, received all of that, only to come down and find them just all out of control. Moses got so mad he threw he threw the he threw the tablets down. He threw the tables down, and they shattered. And so, <clears throat> when we get to our text, Moses is on the second trip. To re-receive the tablets after they after they got broken. Now I want to add something here, and because this is something that all children of God need to know. It can be difficult when you are trying to live by the word of God, especially if you're in ministry. And perhaps there will be a minister that will listen to this. But even if you're not a minister in the formal sense working and and being diligent in the word of God and in the work of our Lord requires a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice because you can't just do what you want to do. You have got to commune with God, which means that you're going to have to come away from everything else and you're going to have to spend quality time with the Lord. Spending quality time with the Lord means you got to push away from things means you can't do what everybody else does. And it means that you're going to have to get time alone with the Lord where you're in, 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 where you're invested in studying the word and reading the word and talking the word. And then it's not only, and then it doesn't stop there. Then you've got to walk in the word. You got to be obedient and you got to deal with the word. Now, when you are doing all of this and you're working with people, okay, who are also have the same calling, meaning that they're also just as responsible for being obedient to the word of God and walking according to the will of God. No more. They're, they're just as accountable as you are. When you are going and you're teaching the word and you're ministering and you're doing all of these different things, as wonderful as it is to be able to do those things, that is also a very, very dangerous place and one that great caution and care must be taken. When you are in that position of, of, of sharing the word of God and working and, and trying to, 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 to uh, admonish brothers and sisters to right living and to holy and righteous um, um, behavior, when you are instructing people in the word of God and you're, and you're teaching and you're ministering the word and you're walking and all of these different things, when the people themselves who have the same responsibility that you're supposed to have, seemingly don't take it seriously and begin to, to abandon the way of God and righteousness and do what they want to do and start walking in sin, especially after you have put in a lot of work, teaching them the right way. It can be, and, and be, it, you can become personally offended. Don't think this strange. Sam, listen, Samuel got offended. 
Samuel got offended when the children of Israel wanted a king instead of the system of judges that was in place. And the Lord had to tell, had to tell Samuel, listen, hold on. They haven't rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not be king over them. At, when you are laboring in the Lord's vineyard and you're working to try to teach people, and then those same people who, for whatever reason, maybe they, they, they take a leave and they decide they're not going to do it, or they go back or whatever, or they become disobedient. You can become so frustrated and so distraught. That's why I say it. it's a dangerous position and one that you got you to gotta take great care when you're in. You got to stay connected to God. You can become so upset that your righteous indignation will become plain old indignation. And if you are not careful, looking too much at what the people are doing, their disobedience can make you so frustrated that you yourself begin to break the commandments. Watch it. Moses came down with the tablets. And when he saw what was going on, he was so frustrated with these people who were just as much responsible for loving and being loyal to God as Moses was. But when he saw that they were not, Moses got so upset with what was going on that his righteous indignation turned into just plain indignation and he threw the tablets down and broke them. And that same thing actually can play out in the lives of those who carry the word of God. And I'm talking, this is especially good for ministers. Don't get your eyes on the people. You got to keep them on Jesus because people when they have a moment and do what people do it can cause you to become disenchanted or disillusioned and so hurt that you yourself just begin to walk away from the things of God and if you begin to do that that is the equivalent of throwing the tablets down and breaking them You can become so offended that you give up. So be careful. Stay prayed up. Get your mind off. You got to pray always. Lord, move me out the way. Lord, don't let me be in my own, in my own way. Don't let me take this stuff personal. Lord, let me keep my eyes on you. Because when the people of God fall, it can discourage the man of God so much that he falls. And a lot of people don't realize that. So keep that in mind. That's, that's, that's good. That is, I'm telling you, that is good to know. So Moses goes up there to reobtain the oracles of God, a man for mercy. Moses not only re-received the commandments of God, but he also had his personal prayer to see the face of God answered. Amen. And you see, Moses didn't get to see now, now, he got his prayer answered, but he didn't get it answered in the way that he thought it was. See, Moses didn't get to see the face of God the way he wanted to see it, but he was allowed to see the backside of God, or in essence, he was allowed to see more of God than he had ever seen before. 
See, God didn't give him exactly what he what Moses wanted because no man can see God and live. But God gave him something else. God gave him God allowed Moses to see more of him than he had ever seen before. And it left Moses absolutely changed so much so that he needed a veil. Amen. 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 The end result of the encounter was that Moses had to put a veil over his face when talking with the children of Israel. And he had to uncover it when he was in the presence of God. Amen. Now let's talk about this veil <clears throat> in our scripture. See, when we talk about the veil in scripture, we are talking about the divine concealment of truth. This is what the veil represented. This is what was referred to when, when Paul said, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. The end of that which is abolished refers to the law, meaning, and it's representing that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Amen. Jesus was the conclusion of the law in that he was the fulfillment of the law. And what he's talking about that they couldn't see it, it means he's saying that they couldn't see in the Old Testament that it was pointing to Jesus. They couldn't see all of that. That's what he's talking about. Amen. Now, when we talk about the veil in scripture, we are talking about the divine concealment of truth. And now in regards to our text, it is the truth concealed in the Old Testament. That is what it is. It, it is the truth that is concealed in the Old Testament. That's the veil. That's what it is. Amen. Now, when we speak of the truth concealed in the Old Testament, we're speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The truth that is concealed in the Old Testament is none other than the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the revelation that Yahweh, who is God Almighty, as revealed in the Old Testament, was coming himself to deliver man from his sins. That, 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 that's the truth. That's what was concealed. Psalms 79 and 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Amen. 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 Deuterocanical book, Barak 4, 21 through 22. Be of good cheer, all my children. Cry unto the Lord, and he will deliver you from the power and hand of the enemy. For my people, excuse me, for my hope is in the everlasting, and he will save you. And joy is come unto me from the Holy One because of the mercy which, soon, which shall soon come unto you from the everlasting, our Savior. Amen. Isaiah 19, verses 19. And 20. In that, in that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of their oppressor. Listen, it was the revelation, this truth concealed in the Old Testament was the revelation that Yahweh, who was God Almighty, 
as revealed in the Old Testament, he himself was coming to deliver man. It's the revelation that Yahweh was not only going to send a Messiah, but that he himself was going to be that Messiah. Look at Hosea chapter 13 and verses four. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Look at, look at Ecclesiasticus 24 and 24. Faint not to be strong in the Lord, that he may confirm you. Cleave unto him, for the Lord Almighty is God alone, and beside him there is no other Savior. Look at Isaiah 45, 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. He was coming himself to be. The, now, he wasn't just sending the Messiah, but he was going to be the Messiah. The truth concealed in the Old Testament is that Jesus Christ was and is the prophesied Messiah. This was Jesus's true identity. And this was the truth that was concealed or hidden within the confines of the Old Testament. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is what the veil represents. Many people today, when reading the Old Testament, are unable to see Jesus in it. And it's not just our Jewish brothers and sisters, but mankind in general. See, the phenomenon of looking directly at something and not comprehending or understanding what it is you're actually looking at, this is what happens when the veil is present on the hearts of the people. You're looking right at the word, but you can't comprehend the word. Looking right at it, but you don't get it. And for years, they had the word. The children of Israel have the word, the Old Testament. And they're looking at it. And they couldn't see it. And for many years, people, we've got the word. Since the Bible, the scrolls have been collected and the Bible has been compiled and we've had the word looking all at it. And not able to see it. Our scripture for 2 Corinthians 13. Look at verse Number 14, but their minds were blinded for unto this day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. See, understanding being darkened is a problem. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. Take a look at it when you get a chance. But this veil, this shroud, and notice verse 14, what he says. It remained untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. That means they didn't just have the word and was set it on the side. It wasn't collecting dust. They were looking right at it. They were reading it. They were pouring over it. 
but yet they remain unable to see it. And so it is with many of us. We, the, the, your Bible, the, many people's Bible is not collecting dust. Yet they're unable to see what's plainly in front of them. They're unable to see the call to God. They're unable to see the call to repent, repentance. They're unable to see their need for a savior. See, in verse 14, he uses a word. He says their minds were blinded. And that word blinded means to be insensible or to harden. What it actually means here is it means to cause to be completely or unwilling to learn. To cause to be completely unwilling to learn. Or to cause the mind to be closed. It literally means to be closed-minded. It literally means to be turned to stone. In other words, to petrify. Because when something is petrified, it turns to stone. That which is organic becomes mineral. And it's no longer organic. It's now a stone. And so when the word of God says their minds were blinded for until this day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. What Paul was actually saying is, is, is that the veil remains or their heart remains covered or they remain unable to see the word of God. Why? Because not that they don't have the word and not that they can't understand the word, but because they are unwilling to learn. They have closed their mind. They don't want more than what they have. The minds are blinded not because they lack the capability to understand, but it is because they have willingly chose to abandon or not listen or hear what the word of God is saying. <clears throat> when you take the word of God and you mix it with the unwillingness to learn, you think that everything you got is right. You think that your way, you, you think you got it all. You think you understand it all. When you take the word of God and you mix it with that attitude and that mindset, you're going to remain in the dark. You're going to remain unable to see what God is saying, even though you're plainly staring right at it. And there's a lot of people to this day, a lot of people right now, you're struggling with the word of God. And you're not understanding why it just, it just seems like it's so difficult. And it seems like, you know, you're just not getting it. Something is not, is not clicking. Something's not happening. And for many of you, the reason the veil, the reason why you can't see these simple truths is because you're unwilling to learn. Jesus put it this way. He told them, he, he told the folks, he said, listen, those that are well have no need of a physician. He told the Pharisees, he said, because you say you have no sins, your sins remain. 
And that is literally the idea and at the heart of what Paul is talking about here. The key is in when he says, but their minds were blinded. It's not a blinding of, it's, that's not the, it's not a blinding of someone externally blinding you. No, that's not the type of blinding. It's self-induced blindness. It is the blindness that comes from a person who closes their mind and is unwilling to learn or hear what the word of God is saying. It's the refusal to accept what the word says on any, on any level. Their minds were blinded. And it remained, and it looked, and here's the, here's the hard part. It remained that way. Untaken away in the reading of the, in other words, they're going through the motion. And there's a lot of people right now, you're going through the motion. But you are not going, you're not going to go deeper with God. You are not going to grow. You are not going to expand your knowledge of God until you completely surrender to God. You got to stop coming to God with your own attitude and your own idea. You need to check yourself at the door. You got to humble yourself. It comes right back to that. Verse 15 said, but even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon the heart. That's not just the children of Israel. There's people to this day. It's <laughs> Gentiles too. You got a veil on your heart, not because you aren't looking at the word and you aren't, and you're not, and, and it's not because you don't have a love for God. But you have a love for God according to your own way and your own understanding. And the scripture says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct thy path. You're only going to go so far in God. You can only get so far without the aid of God. And in order to get the aid of God, you got to surrender to God, which means your own ideas, your own interpretation, your this, that, you got to leave that at the door. And you have got to become obedient to the simple word of God. Before man's overlay got put on, you got to go back to that. See, the blindness that's on the hearts of many is not the result of them being simply unable to see. But again, it's the result of an unwillingness to see or learn. It's, a, it's the mind being closed off intentionally. Not God closing your mind, not God smiting you with blindness, not God making it so that you can't see. You can't see because you want your way more than you want his way. And as long as you want your way more than you want his way, you are not going to sufficiently surrender to his way the way he's asking you to.
But you know what I love about it? As we close this thing down. Verse 16 and 17. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Paul was telling you, look, the veil, you can't see the end. You can't see what was what the Old Testament was pointing to, all the promises and everything that God was, was doing and getting ready to do. You couldn't see all of that. Even, and you couldn't see it all the while, you reading the Bible, you still can't see it. This is what Paul is saying. Because in order to see some things, you have to believe first, not see it first, and then believe. You've got to believe first and then see. When it shall turn to the Lord simply means when your heart turns toward God, when you start to believe, when you accept God's way, the shroud will be taken away. The veil will be dropped. Knowledge, understanding will begin to flood in. The veil is on, their, is on the heart. But when that heart turns toward the Lord, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to get how it works. Just turn towards the Lord. The word of God says that that veil be taken away. Now, you know what that means? It means you're going to start to see. You just believe. And then you'll start to see. And you're going to be so glad that you did because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So much room, so much freedom, so many things that you didn't know. And now all of a sudden, your walk with God is that much more intense and in-depth and wonderful because your heart's turned toward the Lord. God bless you. I'm going to stop the recording here. And until next time. Wow.